This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. When I was a kid in the summertime, I was out with my friends playing in the heat of the day. We were hot and sweaty, and we went in and found water fountains on the wall where we were. And, and we, I remember just being so delighted to hit the button and see this cool, refreshing stream of water that would bring relief, cool us down. It, it was great. But as we ran to get drinks from the water fountain again and again, we noticed that when there was more than one of us, using the water fountains, the water pressure decreased. They were all connected to the same supply line. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a bit of an ornery streak. And it took me just a, a little bit to realize that I could use the water pressure in the fountains to play jokes on my friends. And so I uh, would go to get a drink and kind of wait and watch. And when my friend would, would, would hit the button to get this great arc of water and, and be leaning forward to get a drink, I would hit the button on mine so that right as he leaned forward, the water would disappear. And he would try to figure out where to, where, where'd the water go? It's like watching somebody in a restaurant drink out of a straw, but they're not looking at their cup and they miss. I've done that before. The other thing I would do is I would, I would walk up to the fountain and turn it on and wait. And so when my buddy would come up to get a drink, he'd hit the button and there was this little stream. He'd lean way down to get a drink. And then I'd let go of the button on mine and the water would hit him right in the face. It was so fun. And I realized that as hot as we were, that as much as we were looking forward to a cool, refreshing drink of water, there was more that we could do with this water. <laughs> there, was, there was another thing for us to think about. When we look into scripture today at our conversation that Jesus has, we're going to find him at a well, talking to a woman from Samaria and, and talking to her about the fact that the water has greater meaning for her as he tries to help her understand who he is and how much she needs him. We're in our series called The Conversationalist, talking all about how we can learn from Jesus and his interactions with people how we can reach into the community, reach into the lives of people and, and initiate conversations and help people understand their need for Jesus and, and be a part of drawing them closer to him. Uh, there's a lot that we can learn from Jesus. We started last week hearing from, uh, hearing about his conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and talking about the importance of being born again. Today, uh, we meet him on the road, stopped in Samaria, getting a drink and talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Maybe you know the story. You've probably heard the story before. The woman at the well is a very well-known Bible story. We're going to look at it from this very particular perspective, though, about the conversation itself that Jesus had with her and, and how he talked to her about his identity and her, her, her need for him. We're going to begin reading in John chapter 4, verse 1. If you have a Bible and you want to open there, please do so. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you have the Version app on your phone or tablet and you want to open up uh, that app, Search under events for Parkview Finley. You will find scripture and sermon notes there this week. It's ready. It's live. I missed it last week, but this week we're ready to go. So you can open that up and use it. And we'll begin reading verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, the beginning of the story unfolds, much like any other story in the Bible. But notice that the, the real action of the story doesn't even begin until verse 6, when Jesus sits down at the well and begins to interact with this woman. We have five verses of background information that seems inconsequential. Why do we need to know about the reason Jesus is leaving the region of Judea in the south? That he's traveling north to Galilee and going through this region in between called Samaria. And we come to this ver to verse 4, and we read these words. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, it's true that it's in between Judea and Galilee, but there are other ways to get to Galilee. In fact, most Jewish people, because of their dislike of the Samaritan people, would have taken a detour around Samaria. They would have gone east across the Jordan River and traveled north so that they wouldn't have to deal with any Samaritans. That's how much they disliked this group of people. And yet Jesus had to go through. That's like saying, I'm going to go to Canada and I have to go through Michigan. Well, no, you don't. You can go to Canada in any number of ways, depending on how far of a detour you want to take. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. Geographically, there are other routes he could have taken. So what is the had to? Well, we discover that this particular time and place is a part of God's timing, God's planning, and it's a significant moment for Jesus and this woman at the well. Have you ever noticed how conversations happen according to God's timing? And usually the important conversations of our lives are at the most inconvenient times for us. In fact, many of the important conversations that we have happen on a detour. In an unexpected situation, when we are in a different place than we normally are, at a different time than we would normally be there. Maybe you've been planning a trip, you're getting ready to leave, and suddenly you have car trouble. Your trip is canceled or delayed, you take the car to the shop. Now you're in a place you didn't plan to be, at a time when you didn't plan to be there, interacting with other people. It's frustrating, yes, but maybe there's a purpose. Maybe... Your detour is a matter of timing. You've got a, a scheduled appointment that you need to be at across town. You need to stop and run some errands. Your spouse calls and says, hey, can you pick up some groceries for dinner? You go to a different store than you normally would at a different time of day. And you encounter people that you wouldn't normally cross paths with. Circumstance? Coincidence? Maybe there's a greater purpose in all of this. Maybe it's not even about location. Maybe you're at your job. You're not traveling anywhere, and yet... The copier's not working. You need to go out of your office to a different floor, interacting with a different group of people than you normally would. It's frustrating. It means you're, the task you have to do is going to take longer than you expected. The rest of your schedule is shot. But consider the purpose. Consider what might take place if you're willing to open your eyes to the people you encounter when you're not expecting to. Diversions happen, it can be frustrating, because most of us focus on the destination. When we get so keyed in on where we're going and when we need to be there, we miss out on all of the scenery along the journey. We miss out on the beauty of God's creation. We miss out on the things that we wouldn't normally walk past. We miss out on the people that we wouldn't normally see. We miss all those things when we think about the destination, and we run the risk of missing out on what God is planning for our lives. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to have this conversation. He stopped at the well and asked this woman, would you get me a drink? In verse 9, we pick up with the story. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Now notice, Jesus is, began the conversation over a drink of water. And he's turning the conversation toward the spiritual. Very slowly, very subtly, presenting something more for this woman that he encountered to begin to understand living water. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, or you know who I am, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Jesus turned the conversation toward the spiritual. There's an art to turning a conversation toward the spiritual. When we move from the subtle details, the superficial details, and begin to, to dig deeper, there's, there's an art. And Jesus teaches us a lesson about how we begin to practice that art. First, we have to be observant. We have to watch body language. We have to watch facial expressions. We have to recognize when, when people are engaged in conversation, when they're, when they're ready to talk about more than just the weather and the sports and be ready for that moment, we have to listen. We have to hear not only what people are saying, but the way that they're saying it. Hear the emotion behind their words. Hear the underlying meaning and be ready. We have to be patient. Not get so excited about the possibility of helping people get to know Jesus, but to, to really engage with people and, and care about our interactions with them and wait for the right moment. We have to ask careful questions, open-ended questions, questions that have more than just a one-word answer, where we let people know how much we care about them. In our conversations, we can prove one of two things. We can prove how much we care about ourselves by talking all about me and the things I'm doing and the things I like, or we can, care, talk, we can demonstrate how much we care about other people by asking about their lives and their families and their events going on, the things that they're worried about and concerned about. When we ask careful questions, we create an opportunity to dig deep, to turn the conversation toward the spiritual. The right questions can effectively turn a conversation. And when that moment comes, we need to trust God's timing, trust how he's working in that interaction, and step forward confidently. Not hesitate and worry about all whether we'll offend somebody or whether they'll, they'll walk away and, and think poorly of us, but just to trust what God is doing in the moment and move forward confidently and allow him to work through us in those little moments. And it's also important for us not to get, not to get distracted, not to get mired in the inconsequential details. When Jesus interacted with this, this woman, she wanted to point out proper protocol, all the things that shouldn't have been happening. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. This you, you shouldn't even be talking to me. And yet Jesus reached through those barriers, demonstrating how much he cared about her. He didn't get drawn into a meaningless debate about proper protocol, about social structure. He, he just connected and, and demonstrated value. He was leading her to the right questions that she needed to ask in order to find the answers that she needed. He was helping her come to an understanding of who he was. 
Now, not every conversation follows the same path. Some conversations are immediately deep conversations, like we learned last week with Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus approached Jesus with heavy questions, and immediately they were there. There are other questions that begin with surface details, like drawing a, a water out of a well and turn towards deeper things, turn towards more spiritual things. And we have to sometimes ask the right questions. We have to sometimes lead people to, to let them know it's safe to ask questions for our conversations to, to cut down to a deeper level. Well, we need to be careful to open up our exchange with other people, to open up hearts, to, to invite questions to take place, to dig below the surface details, to, to get to things of greater significance, to discover underlying issues and needs that can be addressed, to help people understand the value of a relationship with, with Jesus. And then we follow the example that Jesus provides and, and begin turning conversation toward him, toward the spiritual, toward the answering of real needs in life. And we come back to the story to hear how Jesus did this in his conversation. Verse 13 is where we are. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The point of this conversation, the purpose of this conversation is is to present the truth of the identity of Jesus. And we have to remember that, that when we engage, when we reach into the lives of people, the point of our conversation is to clearly present the truth about Jesus. Notice in our example that Jesus doesn't spend time trying to convince this woman that she's living in a moral life. He's not debating the boundaries of morality with her. He simply presents to her the reality that she is living in and the way for her to find life in the living water that he provides. And embedded in this message that he is declaring to her is is this idea that, that in each of our hearts is this desire that only Jesus can satisfy. In each of our hearts, there's, there is a thirst that comes up that no matter what we pour into that thirst, it's never satisfied until we turn to him and we find that in Christ, that thirst is satisfied. He is talking to a woman who's been seeking out ways to find resolution to that thirst, to have it resolved, to have it answered. She is lonely. She, she's at a, at a well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. Now, typically women would go together to a well in the morning when it was cool. They would gather, draw water up, put it in, in, in pitchers, in, in uh, canteens, 
you know, the, the wineskins they would use to fill up, whatever they used back in Bible times. They fill those things up, carry them back in the cool of the day so that they weren't burdened in the heat and sweating and drink all the water when they got home. They had water for the day that they would bring back to their homes. This woman is alone in the heat of the day. This is not the norm, which means either she doesn't want to be around people or people don't want to be around her. Why? And Jesus asks the question that, that is creating difficulty in her life. Go get your husband and come back. That's not really a question. He, he, he tells her what to do. Go get your husband and come back. And, and, and points her to this, this, this need that she's been trying to fill in relationships. That she's had five husbands and the man she's with now isn't her husband. And her lifestyle, her decisions have created a reputation. She's alone. And what he presents to her is this idea that while she's been looking to satisfy this, this longing in her life, she can only find an answer to that longing in him. But that's not an easy step to take. Not for her, not for any of us. Why? Because as we get to know Jesus, as we discover his identity, his nature, his role, that he is the savior of the world and he wants to be our savior and redeem us from sin. As we, as we discover that truth about him, the next truth we have to come to terms with is the fact that we are sinners that need a savior. And that means we have to acknowledge all of those things, those things that we have very clearly swept under the rug, that, that, that are, are hiding in the background, we have to bring them back to the surface. We have to deal with the guilt and the shame associated with those sins so that we can surrender them to Jesus as our Savior, so that we can find life in him. And coming to Jesus is a difficult prospect because we have to deal with all of that guilt and shame. And we have to remember that hurdle to overcome when we are introducing people to Jesus. Maybe that's hard for us because the, that experience for us has been years and years and years ago. And we know that we still aren't perfect. We know that we do things that are wrong and we surrender them to Jesus and with repentant hearts on a daily basis, live in that forgiveness. But all of us have had that experience with Christ where we have had to acknowledge our sin, all of it, ugly, disgusting, shameful things and surrender them to him so that we could find forgiveness and grace, so that we could be free from that burden, so that we could live in the hope and peace of a new life in him. And we cannot forget that we need to be sensitive, that we need to be considerate of the difficulty of that process when people come to know Christ and have to deal with surrendering their sin to him the part of that conversation that may not be here and now, that might be a second or third conversation down the road, we have to be ready for them. We have to be careful about them. We have to be considerate in the way that we help people come to, one, accept the truth about Jesus, and two, accept the fact that he is Savior, Redeemer, and that they need to be saved from sin, just as we have been. And we have to remember that there's another barrier to people coming to know the Lord. It's the fact that when they look from the outside in at a, a community of faith, a, a body of believers, a family at a church, from the outside looking in, we look like a very exclusive club. 
We look like a group of people who are very self-righteous, ready to point out the faults and failures of other people. Now, we don't feel that way. Why? Because we know who we are. We're very imperfect people. We are grateful for the forgiveness of Christ, and we are living imperfect lives, glad that that grace covers all of the mistakes that we continually make. But think about what we look like to people who aren't yet a part of us. It's a huge hurdle to overcome, to have to demonstrate to people that we are people, that we want them to be a part of this encouraging, supportive, flawed group that we belong to. And in order for us to help them understand, we have to live authentically. We have to live in humility. We have to live real lives in the world around us to demonstrate to people that we care, to demonstrate to people that they belong, to demonstrate to people how much Christ has changed our lives and how much we want them to experience that kind of change as well. You know, we, we interact with people all the time and we have conversations about meaningless things. And we share experiences with people that could become avenues for them to, to come to know Christ and come to, to, to experience the things that we have. And all the time we, we struggle with this idea of walking past those things and missing them. I, I missed an opportunity this week. I, I had a conversation with a guy who, who was frustrated about, about a, a friend that he had that, that just decided no longer wanted to be friends with him, no longer wanted to, to do the things they did together, to, to have conversation, N nothing, just cut him out of his life. And, and I talked with him about how frustrating it is in, in, in our world today, that people are so, so tense, so ready for, for a fight, that, that it's hard. It's hard to connect with people. It's hard to, to, And then I walked away, and we just went back to doing the things that we were doing. What, what would have happened if I, if I could say, you know, I've had, I've, I've had the same kind of difficulty with, with some people I know. I've had friction in, in relationships and friendships. I've had people just cut me out of their, their lives. But there's one place where I don't feel that way. Maybe, maybe you'd want to come, come with me to our, my, my small group study where we get together with a group of, of people from my church and we just we eat together and we talk together and we pray for each other and I feel encouraged. I feel a part of a group. I feel like, I feel like I'm a part of something there. Maybe, maybe you'd like to come with me and, and see what that's like. Maybe I could have said, hey, why don't you come to my church on Sunday? Why don't, why don't you come and, and meet the people that, that I worship with every week? It, it's a, a wonderful group. It's a place where people are accepted, where, where I don't feel like I'm being judged, where I feel like... I belong. Maybe, maybe that would, would help you in the place where you are. Maybe you could be encouraged in the same way I am. What, what opportunities do we have each and every day to meet people where they are, to, to connect with shared experiences and, and help them see that there's more to life than the experiences we have if we're willing to open ourselves up, if we're willing to connect on another level, to discover what Christ has in store for us,
And we come back to the, the clear truth about Jesus that's present in our lives, that in him we find a resolution to all these difficulties that we're facing. In him we find a, a hope and a peace that sustains us through all of, the, all of the conflict and all the tension that we find in the world. Jesus is the answer to all of those things. This is what he's talking to this woman at the well about. He's been providing all of the necessary evidence for her to discover his identity. I have living water for you. It's water that will well up to eternal life. Oh, I have questions about worship. Okay, let me answer that question. Yeah, you worship there. We worship here. What you need to know is that eventually we're all going to worship God in spirit and truth. Well, I don't understand that, she says. But I do know that the Messiah is coming, and he's going to explain all. He's going to make everything clear. And and there's the moment for Jesus to say, that's exactly who I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. I am here for you to help you understand, to help you come to know me. And he's able to talk with her about his identity, to talk with her about what kind of life she can have in him through this bold declaration about him as the Messiah. It's important for us to to remember that clear truth that needs to be presented. And remember that the way we have our conversations is just as important as the things that we say. Every conversation we have is different, and every conversation we have can be difficult. It's easy to get goaded into an argument, to let our emotions get the better of us, that we would get frustrated or angry or impatient and ruin a good, a good conversation. What Jesus demonstrates to us is that we need to patiently come back to the point of the conversation, to, to stick with that, that clear truth that needs to be presented, to come back to the, the value of Jesus as Lord and Savior. We need to very clearly describe his love and his grace. The answer that can satisfy us in the way nothing else can in this world. We need to consistently model the character of Christ through our interactions, to take hold of our emotions and to calmly and patiently, consistently present Jesus. And as we do that, we need to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of people. Even when we don't see it happening right away, to to trust that he is working in hearts to open up those doors, to draw people in. What we need to do is to pray to pray for those conversations, to pray for those opportunities, to pray for those people that we're talking to, to pray that God would work through us, that we would recognize those opportunities, that we recognize their need for Jesus and be able to help connect them there. That's what Jesus did in the life of this woman. And we get to see the conclusion of the story. Last week we, we talked about our frustration, not being able to see how Nicodemus was changed by his conversation with Jesus. We have a two-part epilogue to our story with the woman at the well. A full conclusion begins in verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with the woman. None of them asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now notice, The woman didn't respond to Jesus right away. He heard, she heard him say, I'm the Messiah. And then the disciples show up and she just kind of leaves her jar and walks back to town. But all the while, the words of Jesus are filtering in, slowly making an impact. And she starts to think about the reality of what he said. And she bumps into a person and says, hey, I just met a guy. 
He told me things about myself that he shouldn't have known. Could he be the Messiah? What, what do you think? Come with me and tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me what you think about this. And she started inviting people to come and meet Jesus. Her faith is not yet complete. Her belief in him is not even fully formed. She has just met Jesus for the first time, and already she is reaching out to her community saying, come and see this man. Come meet this man I just met. Won't you come and, and hear him talk and tell me if I'm right? Tell me if he truly is the Messiah. Her testimony is drawing other people to Jesus already. The next part of the story begins in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the way God works in our lives. This is the way God works through our efforts. This is the way God works through our conversations. That when we connect with people and we tell them about our experience with Jesus, we help them understand who he is. We help them be drawn into him. We help them come to a point of decision, hopefully. And we help them come to a place where they can experience in him the same things that we have. And that's ultimately the goal, to help them come to find forgiveness in Jesus as their Savior, to help them come to discover a peace that will fill their lives, a hope that will sustain them, a joy in life because they've been set free from sin. Do you remember what that felt like? Are you living in the excitement, in the joy of belonging to the Lord? of having had your sins washed away, all of the, the guilt and all of the shame that once weighed you down, gone. Are you living in the excitement that, that overflows out of you into the lives of other people? Are you starting conversations with people to say, I have had an incredible experience with Jesus and I want you to feel what I've felt. I want you to know there's hope in this world. I want you to find freedom in him the way that I did. Sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes we get so wrapped up in life, all the things that have to get done today, that the excitement of our relationship with Christ gets lost. Our conversations are about things, meaningless things, temporary things. God is calling us to, to live in the joy and the excitement and the emotion of our relationship with him, to, to live every day wholly submitted to this calling in our lives, to encounter people that he has placed in our path and to do so in a way that we're drawing them to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the way that you interrupt our lives. I thank you for the detours. God, I pray that you would help us see them for what they are. I pray that you would help us to remember the emotion that wells up in us. I pray that you would make those memories fresh in our minds, that we would 
be filled with this excitement that invites people to you. God, I pray that you would prepare us and that you would help us to dive right into those conversations, that you would work through our efforts, that we would see your hand at work, changing hearts and changing lives. God, we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.